0: Good morning to you, Prairie Creek. It is so good to be with you. And it's such a strange experience because it's like our building is empty, but our church is full. And (laughs) so that's kind of an interesting dynamic, Uh, but it is what it is. And it is such an honor to be bringing the message from God's Word to you this morning. Again, um, as Doyle mentioned, I'm Stephen Curry, and we've met so many of you guys. Um, Penny and I and our family have been here for almost two years And one of the things that attracted us to this church, uh, I'll tell you the truth, Penny did the research on you guys. We were researching, it's like, so we settled in Richardson, and she started looking at mission-minded churches, and two things that really attracted us to this church at first was the English as a second language program, and the second thing was the church garden. And um, so here we are, (laughs) and um, it's clear that God's doing something in this church, and we are so grateful to be part of the Great Commission Ministry of this church. Well, it was interesting when Randall invited me to share um, one of the things that, you know, I told him, I was like, you know, he's been preaching through Romans and, of course, he took a pause for Advent season and I was like, well, I know not to touch Romans because that's Randall's thing, right? He's not finished with it. We're going to come back to more Romans and and see how Randall brings this message all together. But it was interesting when he was preparing this sermon series Randall had something on his heart. He had on his heart that this would be a time, a season of preparation for our church to be bringing good news to our community, and what better than to teach through the book of Romans and how Paul deals with this challenge of being a a message bearer and, and bringing the message to a group of people, Christians who didn't know who he was as a missionary, but also how presumptive that, that here's a group of people he doesn't know that he's going to actually ask for help. <laughs> but that's, what, that's exactly what Paul was doing. He was laying a foundation, but he was also speaking into a situation where there was a cross-cultural dynamic, that you had some diversity in the Roman church, and that was an opportunity for the gospel to spread. And so I think a lot of this, just what Romans lays out, uh, what Paul does so brilliantly of articulating a very clear and very compelling gospel. And what does that mean for us as a church in our context? And so we kind of got sidetracked from that, or so we might think, because what happened? Oh, Rona showed up in February and March, and she kind of killed some plans, or so we thought. And yet I want to put out to you this interesting idea that maybe This year that we thought was going to be a year of wide gospel sowing in our community was actually a time of preparation, that God is making us ready for something, preparing us for something, and giving us a season of rest. Um, You would see in the Jewish law that um, they set apart a, a season for every field to be set aside unplowed, or they, they would allow a field to lay fallow for a season so that it could produce more, that it could yield more in, in the coming seasons. And perhaps 2020 is going to be one of those times that um, we've kind of had a, a time of fallow ground, and that God is going to use this to to do something great in 2021. I'm gonna tell you the truth, that's one of the experiences we've had in working cross-culturally. My role, I work with Texas Baptist Missions, and I work with a ministry called the North American Azerbaijani Network. And we exist as a network to see the gospel widely sown, and see local churches rooted deeply, and to see Great Commission workers closely connected to one another with trusted relationships and trusted resources. And, and so we kind of—our place in the body of Christ is kind of a ligament, kind of a supporting uh, structure that we're not the muscle and we're not the brain, but we kind of connect and make connections so other people can have more effective ministry working with Azerbaijanis, which is one of the 50 largest unreached people groups in the world, less than 2% Azerbaijanis have even heard the gospel. And yet that's changing, and, and in this time that for me that I was supposed to be working and traveling and connecting with new partners, corona came. And you get locked up in your house, and what do you do? Uh, we launched a Facebook page, and we just started sharing the gospel, uh, started with the Gospel of Mark, the, the Lumo Project, Gospel of Mark, and, and just putting that out, and uh, it got exciting when we got up to 500 followers. Woo! That was exciting. It was like, we got 500 people that are following our Facebook page. Little did we know that by the end of the year, uh, upon completing the Gospel of Luke, we would have probably this coming week, we will break the 10,000 follower mark in a country where most people have not heard the gospel, and yet everybody was locked up in their apartment. And what are they doing? Um, guys, they were doing a lot of what we were doing. I was like, my kids have been on these a lot. And they're streaming YouTube, or they're getting on, on Facebook. And what I could not do overseas, I've been able to do very freely, just just posting gospel videos and seeing people respond. And, and it's been really exciting. And so what we have is a sense of anticipation that God is preparing something. He's preparing a harvest, and I have to believe that he's doing that for us here too, that it's something that has affected the global church, and it's a global opportunity for a wide sowing of the gospel and, 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 and a drawing in of harvest. So that's my anticipation of what 2021 looks like. Now, last week, Randall preached um, out of John chapter 1, and um, he really set things up for me. Uh, you know, I told him I wasn't going to preach a mission's message. I was like, this is going to be my opportunity to not preach on missions, but let the missionary preach on something else. <laughs> I guess that's my place in the body because he set it up for me, John chapter 1. So if you have your copies of scripture, I invite you to turn to John chapter 1 where, where Randall left off. And um, last week he, he taught through um, Jesus being the word, the logos coming, and the word becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us. And it was God's presence. Among all peoples of the world. And, um, and it's interesting, too, what John does is he interweaves the story in John chapter 1 of Jesus and John the Baptist. And so that's where I want to pick up. Last week, Randall talked about Jesus. Well, I'm going to talk about Jesus, too, but what was John's role in that and John's disciples? And so I invite you, first of all, um, John chapter 1, verse 19. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And uh, John 1, chapter 19, chapter 1, verse 19, he he writes, um, This is John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? He did not refuse to answer, but he declared, I am not the Messiah. What then? They asked him. Are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then? They asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? And I love this because he tells about himself, but he tells about somebody else in his answer. He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, Why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So it's interesting, he's in the Jordan Valley and he's baptizing. His baptism is a baptism of repentance. He's inviting people to turn back to God, but for a reason that God is preparing for a great harvest. He has a redemptive purpose. All his revelation from Genesis up to now is preparing his people to bear the good news to the nations. And so this repentance that John is inviting people, turn back to God and be ready for what he's going to do, for what he's going to call you out to do. And what an exciting time. But people really didn't understand what they were being invited to, and they weren't ready for it. Even we see throughout Jesus' ministry as he's teaching, there are times where he tells his disciples, I must say to you, but you're not ready. You're not ready yet. He's getting them ready. It takes time and it takes relationship with the master. But what we have here is a, is a season of preparation where John is sent out ahead. And what is God preparing us to do? You know, it's interesting, too, when we look at the story of John because he wasn't always confident about who Jesus was. And it's interesting, too, to think about this. So we look at the Gospel of Luke and you see the story of not one miraculous birth, but two. There's the miraculous birth of John, who is born to elderly parents, much the same as Isaac was born to elderly parents, to Abraham and Sarah. You have these elderly people, they've, they've been disappointed their whole life to have God answer their prayers in, their, in their, their elder years. And you know, it's interesting too, because Mary comes and spends time with Zechariah and Elizabeth, John's parents, while, while Elizabeth is expecting and while Mary's expend- expecting, they're spending time. And it's interesting because John doesn't really know who Jesus is. But you know, you know he grew up hearing stories about Jesus. You know he grew up hearing stories about Mary coming and spending time with the family and how, how Elizabeth felt John within her womb dance, filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born in the presence of his Lord. So there's a sense that he knows him and yet he doesn't. And you know, it's funny with with Facebook uh, these days is, is a blessing and a curse. But one blessing is, is being able to con- keep connected with extended family. I will tell you the truth. If I were to run into any of my cousins on the street right now, if it wasn't for seeing their pictures on Facebook, I probably wouldn't know what they looked like. We've changed a lot in however many years it's been, I won't tell you. But um, you have the sense that John didn't grow up with Jesus, because John grew up in um, ju- Judea, and, and Jesus grew up in Galilee to the north. And here John is baptizing in, in Judea. He's ju- baptizing in the Jordan Valley. And his ministry, it's in- interesting because he, he's so confident, he's so bold, I mean, he calls out corruption, he calls these guys, um, you know, a brood of vipers, He's, he's really harsh, but he's also got this gentle call of calling people to repentance, but not always confident about who Jesus is, even to the degree that when he sees the Holy Spirit come down on Jesus, descending like a dove, and the voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. When he hears this voice, this is all the confirmation in the world to John that this is all that he's prepared for his whole life. And yet he doubts later. You see this in Luke chapter 7, that he sends two of his disciples to Jesus. Are you the Messiah? Or should we expect someone else? And so what does Jesus say? He just tells the disciples, report to John what you've seen and heard. And after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man in nice robes? Look, those who are splendidly dressed live in luxury in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you and far more than a prophet. This is the one it is written about. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, none is greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. See, when we receive Jesus as our Lord and our Savior and we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we become adopted heirs. We become part of God's family. We are restored to him. And we are part of this kingdom of God. And to think that in that status as adopted sons and daughters, we are greater than the greatest of the prophets. None born of women is greater than John. Yet those born of the Spirit The least of those are greater than he. So I want to tell you this, that when we have the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit, he uses us in the same way that he uses John to prepare the way for his good news for people that are in our circle of reach. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning is this circle of reach. And what does it look like to engage our circle of reach? Well, interesting because we keep reading in John chapter 1, we're going to see a picture of that, not once but twice. And so, picking up uh, from John chapter 1, verse 29. So, after this encounter with the the Pharisees, um, the, the religious skeptics, after this encounter, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who has surpassed me. Because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed for Israel. And then I imagine this happening later when John is alone with his disciples. Verse 32, and John testified, I watched the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and what did they do? They followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, and you'll see. He replied, and so they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about 10 in the morning. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We've found the Messiah, which means anointed one. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means rock. What a beautiful picture here that you have these two followers of of John the Baptist. You have Andrew and then you have his friend John. John is the writer of this gospel. And it's interesting too that John tells Andrew's story here because Andrew, what does he do? John points these two disciples out to Jesus. It's like, look, and they go and they follow Jesus. What is the immediate thing that Andrew does? he goes and he finds his brother Simon. And he invites him to come see Jesus too. That's such a remarkable thing. It's such a simple thing. And yet, who was in Andrew's circle of reach, if not first and foremost, his family? And and so you have this happen, that um, these two brothers, and we find out later, we see this in the Synoptic Gospels, it's not just John and Andrew, but it's also their brothers, they're all fishermen. These four men, they are fishermen, that Jesus later calls him and says, leave your nets behind, come and follow me. I will make you fishers for people. These guys grew up together, they're in business together, and they're called out together. And you know, it's interesting, too, because we've heard that sermon preached before, that these four men just left their nets and immediately left to follow Jesus. And we hear this story that, oh, they'd never seen Jesus. He just, Jesus walks up and calls them, come follow me, and they follow him. But John tells a different story, that this is something that has unfolded over time, and they've had time with Jesus before he calls them out and says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So that time for that relationship to be built and be strengthened, and it's not just a one-time encounter where Jesus says, come follow me, and they follow. Does that take a little pressure off of us when we think about sharing the gospel? That you know, this idea that we've got to share the gospel, and if somebody doesn't receive it, you know, we've done something wrong, or, you know, we've failed somehow. And so, you know what, why even do that? It's stressful. Um, because most people are going to reject it on the first hearing anyway. Well, we see this isn't what Jesus did. They met Jesus before, according to John chapter 1. It's only later that he invites them to leave everything and follow. So there's this responsiveness. There's this preparation. There's readiness. And then there's responsiveness. Let's keep reading. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Ah, so Philip's a little different, right? Come follow me. But what's Philip's connection to these guys? Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. These guys knew each other. They grew up together in the same town. It's like I grew up in a small town of 7,000 people. I didn't know everybody in the town, but I sure knew everybody in my school. You know, there were there were 44 of us that I think it was 44 that started kindergarten. Through twelfth grade. That doesn't happen in Plano because you get moved to different schools in such a large school district. But in a small, di- small school district, you grow up with a group of people, and that's this is small town life. They knew Philip. And what did Philip do? Verse 45: Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We've found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. I love Nathanael's response. Small town, right? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. I could could really relate to that. Can anything come out of Lumberton, Texas? Well, (laughs) who can say? (laughs) Something did good come out of Nazareth, though. And Philip's response, come and see. Now, isn't this the same response that Jesus gave to Andrew and John? We see that. They, they, he's like, what are you looking for? Where are you staying, Rabbi? Come and you'll see. So same invitation, come and see. And then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said about, her, about him, here is a true Israelite, no deceit is in him. How do you know me, Nathaniel asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Who knows what Nathanael was doing? But Jesus saw him. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus responded to him, do you believe only because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than this. Then he said, I assure you, you will see heaven open up and angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. What's so beautiful about this story is it's so easily repeated because we can do these things. We can point to Jesus and say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We can do this. We can say, come and see. So what does a circle of reach look like? Because we see Andrews. Let's look at Andrews. His circle of reach included his brother, Simon. It included his friend. Well, at least his neighbor. They were from the same hometown. It included Philip. And somebody that's not introduced in the text yet, but he's friends with, he's friends. They're business colleagues. They work together. And that is the apostle James. That's James, the son, the the brother of John. So we see these four men that get called out together. They have relationship with one another. And so if that's one of the things about sharing the gospel that we get so frustrated. We think of this, we imagine our mind that it's about going to strangers and sharing the gospel and getting rejected. And so in fear of doing that, we just don't do it. And that's not what we're being asked to do. That's not to say that we shouldn't do it, but the model we see here in John chapter 1 is within a circle of relationships, a circle of reach. So it takes common people, Who are the common people? Common people are family members. They're friends. They could be work colleagues. They could be neighbors. We also see this dynamic of common places. So this hometown, Bethsaida, these guys are from this place. There's also the common place of where Jesus was at. Here he is at the River Jordan. He's in in Judea where these guys are together. They're not in their hometown. They're actually away from home. And here comes Jesus, and he encounters them. But there's these common places, so there's these. they have shared experiences together. So what are common places that we have with people? Well, there's our own home. Many of us have family members that don't yet believe. And I say don't yet, because they can look at the pattern of our life. If we are faithful following Jesus, they will see it, and it will bear witness. But where else Where do we meet up with friends? At coffee shops, maybe? Um... At parks? Where do you meet up with your friends? Um, that is a common place. What about a break room at lunch? At work? You know, so you, you, you ha- you know, that's a common place where you spend time with people. And what about go- just going to the park? With, you know, you're, you're out there with your neighbors. There's also common activities. What do you do together with people? Well, okay, we all sit at home. Sorry, y'all. We all sit at home. (laughs) It's Corona time, right? Uh, Oh, well, that's a common activity. It certainly gives us something to talk about, right? What did you do when you sat at home? I did nothing, just like you. Or maybe you did something. It's a common activity or common experience. But what about going out and walking with neighbors? You know, it's like, okay, so you walk on this side of the street and I walk on this side of the street. I've seen neighbors do this. What about um, work? I think about you know when I worked in the human resources field, it wasn't just that I had common coworkers working for the same company, but HR people would get together and share best practices. We'd get together once a month for lunches and and, and to learn. These were networking events, and and so those are opportunities to build relationships. Um, what about just going out to the park and watching people play cricket or soccer? You know, it's, um, or I don't play cricket or soccer. I'm not doing that, you guys. Sorry. Um, But whatever those common activities are, those are bridges for the gospel. And those people that you have the opportunity to share those things with, those are people that are in your circle of reach. So who is in your circle of reach? Think about people that you have a strong relational bond with. Think about people that you have proximity to, that you spend time with, and not just... Duration of time, but frequency of time. Maybe you only see somebody a couple minutes every day, like you walk into a building. You know, I remember when I walked, worked for Austin Water, that it was a lockdown building because it was a government facility, but every day, the same guy at the guard station. You get to know these people when you see them every day. And maybe you don't spend an hour with them every week, but you see them every day. So there's frequency, but there's also a duration of time that you spend with people. Talked about common interest already. And what about somebody that just, God God puts a heart burden. He gives you a heart burden for somebody, and you can't explain it, but you can't stop thinking about that person. That is the Holy Spirit prompting you to invest in a relationship. And the relationship will yield fruit. I'll tell you a little um, trick that's... It's not a trick, it's a method. (laughs) But it's something that missionaries have learned over time, particularly in places that are resistant to the gospel, that this idea of making disciples, and we know Jesus told us, go and make disciples. Go make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey everything that I've taught you to obey. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's given us this great commission, and yet he's placed us in a community of people. And we can do this through relationships. And we think this is a, as, a, as a heavy thing, that you, you know, because the big thing is getting saved. And can I, I just tell you something very provocative? That what we've been taught about getting saved is it's just not realistic, and it's not really the way... God works in the hearts of people because you've got this image of somebody's got to come into a church building and then they've got to hear somebody preach and thank God it's not me, by the way. Thank God, you know, that burden's not on me. There's a professional that does that. And when the professional delivers the message, it's going to be so compelling that this person's going to walk down the aisle and then come to the front. They're going to know that that's what they're supposed to do the first time being in a church building, right? That they're supposed, they're supposed to walk down this aisle and and pray this prayer, and, you know, this guy just got through preaching too, you know, so he's got dry mouth, and he's, you know, he's he's hunched over this person, and praying, and this must be this life-changing moment, and then they sit down in the front row, and they fill out a card. You got to fill out the card, right? This is not in the scripture. You know, I remember David Platt, the former uh, president of the International Mission Board, saying this very provocative thing about the sinner's prayer, this prayer that if you pray this prayer to receive Christ, you get saved. David Platt asks, where in the Scripture do you find this prayer? Where in the Scripture do you find he used the word incantation? Whoa, that's that's not what we're doing. And you know what? That's not what we've been asked to do. But something missionaries have learned long before you get to this point where you sit down with somebody and you have that true prayer of repentance with them, that shared experience. You start discipling before they get saved. You start investing your life and modeling the gospel and demonstrating the power of God to change a heart and to change a mind because this gospel seed that God gave to John the Baptist is the same seed that we have, his holy word and his holy spirit. We have those same resources right now. And so what is good news that Jesus came from heaven to earth to show God's love to mankind. We have that same seed of the gospel now. What is good news that he proclaims freedom, he proclaims liberation from bondage he proclaims healing and restoration this is good news that we can share with anybody it doesn't take a professional preacher to do that that's the same seed of the gospel that jesus had that his disciples had that john the baptist had we have that same seed it's good news it's good news that we have to share and that's exciting And it doesn't take a formula. If you need a formula to lead somebody to Christ, you're doing it wrong. It takes a relationship, and relationship takes trust, it takes time, it takes love that we demonstrate the loving goodness and kindness of our Heavenly Father to people who don't know it. These are things we know how to do. This is realistic. This is something that's doable. We just need to cultivate these relationships. If you have a bond with somebody, but you don't spend a lot of time with them, what's the next step to remove a barrier to the gospel? Go spend time with that person. You can do that. I can do that. So don't let these barriers of, oh, it takes a professional to, to deliver the message. It does not. By the way, sometimes we professional, professionals are some of the worst people to deliver the gospel to the people you know and love. They're watching you. If they watch me, they're going to see my faults. Because I'm up on stage. They're watching you. They know your faults already. And yet they know what's real and what's not in your heart. And they know what you live out in conviction. You live, it, you live the gospel for them. They see the seed of the good news in you. That's exciting. That's not burdensome. And so what is something you can do? Who is in your circle of reach? Write it down. Who are those family members? Who are those friends? Who are those neighbors? Who are those colleagues that you just need to have conversations with? And you know, it's funny. Um, I remember is my language teacher, um, I would get so frustrated because it's like, I don't know how to say what I want to say. And he's like, you don't need to know how to say things in my language. You need to learn how to ask questions and listen. Conversation is asking questions and giving answers. Well, that's a breakthrough. I've got to learn how to ask questions? Okay, that's hard. And then listen. And maybe you don't understand everything, (laughs) you know. But that's language learning. Well, we can ask questions of our friends, and we can have these kind of conversations. You see this time and time. Jesus models asking questions. I would invite you, as you write down these names, and maybe you, don't, maybe you need to pray about it, but when you pray about it and God tells you who these two or three people are that you need to write down and that you need to, to pursue in 2021, that you don't do that alone. Just some words of encouragement to you. Jesus told his disciples, Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20, he said, again, I tell you, If two of you on earth agree about any matter you pray for, it will be done for you by who? By my Father. We're not the ones that get people saved. It's the Father that draws them to Christ. We can do that. We can pray for people to know Jesus. Not by ourselves. Invite somebody. Maybe this is something that house-to-house groups do that we think about who are the people in our circle of reach that we need to be praying for, and pray for them. And Jesus goes on. He says, It'll be done for you by my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am with you. You're not doing this yourself. That burden was never put on you to do by yourself. Something else I want to encourage you to do is to be confident in the relationships you have with people. You don't have to be fake with people. They already know you're a Christian if you're living it, right? So you're not like, whoa, this guy's a Christian. I'm going to freak out now and run away. They already know you. If they have a relationship with you, they've already accepted that about you, right? It's Matthew ten forty. Jesus tells his disciples, the one who welcomes you welcomes me. And the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Think about that. If they're welcoming you, knowing that you are a follower of Christ, aren't they, in a sense, welcoming Jesus? Is that not a different way of looking at that? Start asking questions. Start having conversations. And be confident in God's word. And I don't mean you have to have this word memorized, okay? It's certainly good to immerse yourself in it. And, and you know what? You don't have to start with Genesis this year when you start your read the Bible plan. Why don't you start with John, where we're at right now. Spend time in the gospel and see how Jesus did it. But be confident in God's word. I love this. This is a missionary go-to. Everybody, and I tell you, um, this will preach by itself. But I love this idea out of Isaiah chapter 55. Because God tells Isaiah the power of his word. He says, verse 10, For just as the rain and snow fall from heaven, and they don't return there without saturating the earth, making it germinate and sprout, providing seed for the sower and food for the eater, so my word that comes out of my mouth will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. So if you're carrying God's word, the word has the power to change hearts and change minds. That's not your job to persuade or to convince. It's your job to do as John did, to be a witness of what you've seen and what you've heard, and trust the Holy Spirit to do the work. That burden is not on you. Thank God he did not make me the Holy Spirit. He didn't. He made me a witness of what he's done in my own life, and what I have seen in his holy word, that I can do. That's within reach. And he didn't give me the whole world to do. He gave me a circle of reach. And those are people I already know or have the opportunity to know. So when we think about this, that's what year 2020, that's what our leaders envisioned for us as a church, to be a time of reaching. Well, that time's now. And all this time of preparation we've had, I think... There's ready harvest. I think there's opportunity because in times of distress, people are receptive to the gospel. This is our time as a church, and we can do this together. And I know that's the heart of our leaders to lead us in this. It's in reach. So let's do this together. Let's hold each other up, and let's trust God for what he's going to do. Let's pray. Father. Thank you so much for sending Jesus. Thank you for this time, this Christmas season, that we remember the coming of Jesus and that we remember the calling of men and women to follow. Help us, Lord, to be faithful witnesses of what you've done in our own lives, in our own community, in our own church. Help us to tell truly what you're doing, what you're about, your heart for people, that you love us, and that you call us. And for as many who will believe, you give the right to be sons and daughters of God. What an honor and privilege. So help us to be good children. Help us not to rely on ourselves, but to remember our place in your family, to invite others. And Lord, may this be a time that you call many sons and daughters to yourself. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.